Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. You might want to turn in your Bibles um, in the New Testament to the 14th chapter of John. We'll touch one or two before we get there. But before I do that, let me remind you that after I finish preaching for three hours, we're going to eat. <laughs> People keep saying, we, you know, we want the old-time stuff. Well, the old-timers preach for two or three hours, so that's uh, what you get what you ask for, you know. Two or three other things. And, and those of you who didn't know that we were going to eat and or whatever reason, we've got plenty for everybody, so please stay, and uh, that way I don't have to have leftovers tomorrow. Um, you need to know, if you don't, that we're in the process of developing a church library. I'll try to get pictures for you next week so you can see what we're doing back there. Um, <clears throat> this week we finished installing two new HVAC units in the atrium area. Those old ones were, had died and gone to heaven, and so they were replaced, and uh, we get to pay for those this week. We'd save the money for them. <clears throat> it's, they're about $10,000 each installed because you have to get a crane, take down the old, put up the new, blah, 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 blah. Um, the one of the reasons I want you to stay for supper is that... Uh, we're going to <clears throat> kind of celebrate uh, Pat Apel because he's been a trustee here at church for years. And, and his plan is, I, if it hasn't changed since I talked to him, there, he's looking at, uh, he sold his house and he's looking at moving to North Carolina with his son Jeep, grew up here at church and where he would be well cared for and I think, that, and, and have some fun there with his son. Uh, and a grandbaby, too. Uh, you need to know that we have begun what we, during the pandemic area, earlier in the year, when our hospital was under considerable stress over at SOMC, on a, on a Thursday, no, I'm sorry, on a Tuesday evening, we sent pizza over to the emergency room. We have started that again. I've talked to them, and, um, and this past Tuesday was the first bunch that we sent over, and we'll continue that to give them a little relief and to let them know we appreciate what they're doing, but, and you need to know that that's, that's happening too. And uh, for those of you who are volunteers in whatever it air it is, we'll be having a volunteer dinner pretty soon and the gift that we're going to give everybody there's one of them sitting back on the table there that you can look at it and uh, it actually says on it I'm a volunteer okay the, the assignment this evening as we're talking about getting back to fundamentals really I've been assigned to speak about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit uh, probably been more uh, difficult theological discussions through the years, clear back to the third century A.D., about uh, the person of the Holy Spirit. The whole concept of the Trinity was difficult for Jewish people because all of their emphasis was on 
what all of them had to say all the time, quotes from the Old Testament, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Now then, we've got the Father and the Son, and then Jesus said, I'll petition the Father, and he will send another comforter, Just, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So now we got three. So they were saying, this ain't possible. And so the early church finally had to have a, a serious um, conference where they got together and, and determined what would be um, the official position of the church. Whenever there was an effort to say, you know, they, early, uh, early on they came up with a thing that's called modalism, and, and, and the reason it was called that is because they said God reveals himself as a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. He reveals his presence and his power through the Holy Spirit. But it's just, and, and so they had difficulty uh, believing that God was three different personalities. Three different expressions of his power they could buy. But they had difficulty, and these are the Jews in particular because of their Old Testament background where they, they were constantly competing and fighting against the whole concept of many gods. And now it looks like the Christians have got three too. And so that became a real struggle. Um, and if you run across that term modalism, it came from the word mode, M-O-D-E, why you will find how that got its start. And I need to say at the outset that uh, I'll put primary, because I don't have time to go into this in great detail. But, and so because of that, I had to pick out the things that I thought were most important uh, so that you could finally eat. The, uh, it is... It is something that the Christian church has avoided that the New Testament teaches only because they have thought it wasn't possible. Because we have always underestimated the power of the Holy Spirit in the person's life if they were truly surrendered. The reason you don't see it is because we're, very few of us are truly, totally surrendered. And the result is that the power of the Spirit of God in the life of the believer isn't what it ought to be, but it's not his fault, it's ours. And, uh, and, and the result is that the influence of the church isn't really what it ought to be. The other reason that, that, that I need to mention this is the church has put more emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit that influence our emotion rather than putting the, the emphasis on the gift that most makes us like Jesus. And the result has been you've got a Pentecostal group, you've got an apostolic group, you've got, and, but you need to know this now, folks, because it's just a fact. Almost all of the cults speak in tongues. Almost all. And that's nothing new. That goes clear back to the New Testament era, even in the Old Testament era. And so the emphasis on, on, on tongues can be a real problem. Because if you look carefully in the New Testament, we're warned about 
the kind of things that titillate the flesh and that Satan can duplicate. So we have to be really careful. So what is the most important thing? The most important thing is to love each other the way Christ loves us. There isn't anything that comes close to that. And the Apostle Paul, in dealing with the whole business of miracles and tongues and so on, wrote a whole chapter about that. He said, though I have the, the, the tongue of men and angels and I don't have love, I'm wasting my breath, really. And so, but, but you and I both know that there's more emphasis on the glossolalia, that's the fancy word for tongues, the Greek word for tongues, than there is on love. And therefore, the influence of the church is limited because of that. Now, when you get ready to die and go meet Jesus, and you get my age, you think about this on occasion, maybe every day, you want to think about what do I want in my life? Would I rather, would I rather meet Jesus and being angry but say, and say, but I spoke in tongues and I, I healed the sick. And I did. Or would you rather have your reputation of being one who loved? So that's kind of where I'm coming from. You need to know that. I'm not bad-mouthing anybody, but I am telling you we need to get our priorities set with those of God. When you go to the book of, of Second Thessalonians, the second chapter, listen to this. And this is why it's an important issue. The second chapter is going to say verse 9. It says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. You see, anything that stimulates the flesh is appealing to either baby Christians or non-Christians. And so you have to be careful because those things Satan can duplicate, but he can't duplicate love. Can't do it. So we, we need to have that on the table here before I dive into following the outline. And you need to follow the outline this evening that's on your bulletin. It starts off with saying, I want to attach just for a few moments the Holy Spirit and his relationship to the Bible. The Holy Spirit and the relationship to the Holy Spirit, and especially the New Testament as we have it today. If you look carefully into third, at, uh, at, at the third chapter of the book of, uh, of Colossians, you will see that the Holy Spirit uses the Bible in order to accomplish God's will in the life of a believer. Actually, there's some discussion among scholars that the Holy Spirit actually uses the Bible to anoint believers with. Now, it wouldn't be the Bible as a book to whop them over the head, but we're talking about the Word of God. Because where does the Word of God to be, where is it if it's going to be of benefit to our believers? The Scripture says, if you hide it in your heart, you won't sin against God. So the, so the Word of God needs to be in us and not just in a book. Because as I said a week before last, the Word of God in the book 
is nothing more than a than a than a, any other book until it's incorporated in the life of the believer as a tool for the Holy Spirit to use in helping us to achieve what we couldn't achieve without Him. So the the Word of God and is uh, well. Let's go ahead and read it just uh, so we can say we did here in verse uh, sixteen. It says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And then you talks about singing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So the Spirit of God uses the word of God in order to accomplish, accomplish the will of God in the life of a believer. It's really that simple. That's the reason Paul told young Timothy, he didn't say read it unless you're in the congregation reading it for people who can't read and write. He said for, for him, though, he said, I want you to study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, handling correctly the word of truth. So the word of God is really the Holy Spirit's tool for accomplishing in the life of a believer starting from the very beginning until the very end. The beginning, of course, is that the Bible is used by the, word, by the Spirit of God at the command of Jesus to bring salvation to people. Is there salvation where there isn't the preaching or the teaching of the Word of God? The answer is no. How shall they hear without a preacher? And how should they have a preacher unless he be sent, Paul said to the, to the Roman people? the church at Rome. So the, the Word of God is an essential element in the kingdom of God for the salvation of people and the maturing of people and ultimately getting us to heaven. So we see him not as an influence, but as a person. You have to keep that straight because Jesus said, in the, in the, and we'll see this in just a second here, you know, I'm going to send them, and he's, he's going to send another counsel or another comfort, all the same word. And we'll talk about that in the next go-around here. But you need to look at these passages, and we'll, just, we'll read them quickly and then move on. Um, here in the book of Romans, uh, he speaks about the Word of God that the Spirit of God uses, I would argue, uh, to anoint people with through the Holy Spirit. In Romans 1, 16, in the first chapter, verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is, and the gospel here is what? Death, burial, and resurrection of Christ according to 15th chapter, 1 Corinthians. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. So we're talking about the innate, now, the, the, the words mean nothing until they're controlled by the Holy Spirit and we agree to them to come into the life of a believer. It takes a conscious commitment on our part to invite the Holy Spirit to use His Word as we read it and as we hear it in order to accomplish what we ought to be in the eyes of God. Now, he goes ahead, <coughs> excuse me, in the 10th chapter of the, I'm going to take a snort here. <clears throat> Excuse me. 10th chapter of that same 
um, book of Romans, down about what, verse 17, isn't it? Um, where he said that faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. So the capacity to believe, to a large extent, is given to the individual who is seeking the Lord. And um, so you, you need to understand how vital the Word of God is in the kingdom of God to accomplish His will. Now, notice carefully, you're going to see something here that most of you haven't seen before. This is number two. Jesus promised to send, and there's the word there that you've probably never seen before, and then another counselor. Now, that's in the 14th chapter of John, and the reason that I put that those funny-looking words there. So pay attention to when I tell you what's there. This is a Greek word, and it's important that you know it. The A is an alpha. Those two things that look like a Y upside down are lambdas. That's an L in English. So you would spell this A-L-L-O, that's an Omerican, S-sigma. So it's pronounced alos. Now, the word alos in Greek stands in juxtaposition to another word for, and it literally is translated other. That's the way it's translated. The other word for translating other is a word that you are familiar with. You're familiar with the word uh, uh, because it's kind of who we are as men and women. The, the, the word literally means, the other Greek word means another of a different kind. When we talk about marriage, that's the word that's used. And it's, it's heteros, and, and, and where we get our word for a, a different sex, a different man and, and a woman who come together. They're, but it's, it's, it's another, but another that's different. So when Jesus here in the 14th chapter of John, and let's, let's just... Uh, look at it here in verse uh, 16 and 17. He said, uh, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, alos, comforter. Not heteros, but... So he's saying, I will give you another just like me. All right? To be with you forever. He's the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you will know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, that's, that's why this is important here, to understand. The Holy Spirit is, a, is exactly the same in his mission and power as Jesus, except the Holy Spirit is not encumbered with the flesh. Jesus came as a personality with flesh and blood. God put skin on and named him Jesus. The Holy, and, and now, in order to accomplish taking the word of God to every believer throughout the whole wide world, Jesus couldn't do it in the flesh. So he ascended to the Father and said, Father, send the Holy Spirit to, co to continue the work that I've started. That's what he was really doing. And he'll be, so the Spirit of God is exactly the same in power and influence and so on as if Jesus were here himself. You got to keep that in your mind.
Now, in verse 25 of that same chapter, he says, uh, he, he talks about the Holy Spirit, and, and we're, here we, he's saying here to his disciples. Now, this isn't to us. I'm, what I'm going to read isn't to us. It's to his disciples. He's talking directly to his disciples about how do we get the Word of God down on paper so it can be distributed to the world. How, how do you go about doing that? Well, the first thing he had to do was to put it in the minds of the apostles who were the writers. So the Holy Spirit comes to teach the apostles what they need to write down. So really, the Holy Spirit is the author of the New Testament. You need to understand that. That's why we call it the Word of God. Now, I, they turned the lights off in the back, so I can't see you very well, but are you, are you with me so far? Are you alive and well? Are you even awake? Because what we're after here is kind of important, folks. It's kind of important. Now, he says that in verse 25, And this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything you need to know. What did he do that for? So they could write it down on paper and make it available to us, to the whole world. So because he said to what is in the 14th chapter, or the last, 20th chapter of Matthew, because you're to take this, that I'm going to put through the power of the Holy Spirit in the minds of the apostles so they can put it on paper so you can take it all over the world. Go ye, he said, into all the world and preach the gospel. So th that's the mechanism through which God chose to work. You have three personalities here. You have the personality of a father, you have the personality of a son, and you have a personality of the Spirit of God. Three separate individual personalities, not just influences. You need to get that straight in your mind. Even though that's been a real struggle through the history of the church as far as uh, what they've done. Now, he has several different titles. That's why we call him a he and not an it. The Spirit of God is a he, it's a person. He is called here in, the fort, in that same 14th chapter, verse 17, he's called the spirit of truth. That's why, you know, everybody struggles today with the truth. One of the great heresies of today is this, philosophically and a lot of didactically, a whole lot of other ways. The great heresy is that there is no absolute truth. Everybody has their own truth, and that is to be accepted as the truth. Because truth is not a body of, uh, uh, of, of truth as a Bible. So that what they're really saying is uh, there is no such thing as absolute truth, which in itself is contradictory. You're saying absolutely there's no absolute truth, which is self-contradictory. It's kind of dumb to start with, but it's really the number one influence in, in all of our colleges and universities. The reason I keep saying, I think we're going to have to seriously look at our pocketbooks and, and consider starting Christian schools all over the world. And here's the reason for that. Satan has successfully stolen most of our children for a generation and a half probably through the, through the school system that at one time was solid. 
but now isn't anymore. The NEA, National Education Association, is probably the most Marxist, liberal, uh, liberal influence in all of the political, in all of our political system. It needs to go away. It needs to come back into the local hands of the local people and, and let them run it. But see what the government says. We want you, we want you to make it. An old friend of mine now, Dr. Moeller, down at Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, told me this. He said, Scott, here's the way this works. All institutions have a tendency to gravitate to the left, and we have done nothing to stop it. And so the, the, what has happened is that the, the educational system in the United States has stolen our children from the influence of the Lord. And, that's the way, and I, I, I think that's hard to argue with. So if you want to get into an argument, you, then I'm the person you need to talk to. Yeah. So what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit in what we would call the new era? Now, why did I call it that? Because the Bible is divided into three distinct areas. There's the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. And, it, and, and included in it and overlapping it is the ministry of Jesus. So you have the Old Testament, Old Covenant, and, and then Jesus came and, and as a transition area for 30 years here between the Old and the New, and I just simply refer to that as the ministry of Jesus. And then you have the New Covenant. And all of this is spelled out pretty clearly in the book of Hebrews, if you've ever read it. And it simply says, you know, the Old Testament is there. It, was the, it is the Word of God, but it is there primarily now as a historical background to help us understand the new, but we're no longer bound by what's there unless it's repeated in the new. Are you with me? And so that's, that's what he's really saying here. So the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was not primarily to enter into the life of an individual. The purpose of the whole, in the Old Testament, as you will see if you've read it, and the easiest to, to use is, is Samson. Samson was a no-good, womanizing, disobedient, ornery cuss. You know, he, he, he just simply was. Everything he did was wrong that's mentioned in the Scripture until he got ready to die. You know, everybody likes to get a big deal out of it. He took the jawbone of an ass and whipped up on a bunch of, but, uh, of uh, Philistines, and we say, man, wasn't he something? No, he was being disobedient in the process. Because you see, he had taken, a, he had born with a vow called a Nazarite vow. And one of the things that a Nazarite could not do without breaking his vow was to touch something that was dead. What was the jawbone of the ass? It was something from the dead. That's the point that everybody seems to, to miss. It's no big deal for him to wipe out a bunch of no good stinking um, Philistines. It was put in there to show you that he was just a womanizing, disobedient guy who had, he did the same thing with the carcass of a lion. You know, he was just really disobedient. And as a result of his disobedience, the Israelites lived under the influence of those Philistines for a whole generation. And they weren't nice people. So the emphasis here was on his disobedience, and we have a tendency to say, oh, wasn't he something? He whooping up on people with a bone. You missed the point. You missed the point. 
So the purpose then of the Holy Spirit, when he did these things, he wasn't, the Spirit of God wasn't going to live in him while he's being disobedient. But while he was doing some of those things, it says the Spirit of God came upon him and empowered him to accomplish what otherwise he couldn't get done. Now that principle has always been true. Human beings cannot accomplish the will of God unless the Spirit of God dwells within them and empowers them to accomplish it. You know, I have all kinds of, I, was, I have a good friend that lives down there next door to us who's from France, and he keeps telling me that the church is, um, he, he, has, he bad mouths the church, but I've got him agreed to come and listen to me preach. He said, I'll do that. I'll do that. He will. We're going to have a saved Frenchman one of these days, and he doesn't even know it. But he's really, he's, I love the guy, and, he's, he's, and we, pre, we enjoy visiting with him and talking to him. But the Spirit of God in the Old Testament then, the whole principle, his presence was to get things accomplished that you couldn't accomplish in the flesh. Now that principle hasn't changed. Because in the Old Testament, but he would come and he'd go, and he would come and he'd go. And the Spirit of God left him. You know, and, and so he kept, cuts his hair and he chases the women. He does all this kind of stuff of the, of the worshipers of Dagon and or the Philistines. And, and, the spirit, and, and when the Spirit of God left him, he was just weak like any other man. Because the Spirit of God didn't dwell in him. He only came upon him at times to accomplish something God wanted done. In the New Testament, the presence of God to accomplish what we couldn't do. You see, meeting, talking about my French friend, he, he, he doesn't understand that no one can live the Christian life just in the flesh. He doesn't understand that. And our problem, you see, as believers, is that very few of us have ever gotten past the baby stage in our faith. Because we've never surrendered consciously, purposely, on a daily basis, surrendered to the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit who no longer just occasionally comes upon you to accomplish something, but chooses us to live within us, and He's there available all the time if we just ask Him to do it. But for some reason or other in our culture, we don't want to be different. And the Bible teaches that's exactly why you're saved, to make you different. The word for holiness, hagiadzo, which means, it just means to be set apart from everybody else. If that doesn't make you different, what does? We're to be different. We're to be truthful. We're to, have, we're to be people of integrity. And, and it's the whole thing is totally different. We're to believe in the truth. We're to love each other and bear each other's burdens and encourage each other. That's what love really is. So the Spirit of God in the New Testament, then, and then when you go to the 13th chapter, there the book of, uh, of Hebrews, he actually says in the 13th chapter, when the Spirit of God comes within us, he will, he will not be like with Samson. He will never, it actually says this, he will never leave us nor forsake us. That ought to give you some comfort. Never leave you nor forsake you. So the present, if you're truly saved 
and the Spirit of God has come in your life. Now, there are those who say, well, if he's in my life, I want to feel it. I want some confirmation. I don't want it by faith. I want to feel it. And so they, they, they push the, there's, there are denominations who, who say when you're baptized, you have to be baptized in water and speak in tongues. And, and if you're not, you're not really saved. But the whole New Testament speaks against that concept. The Apostle Paul, uh, you know, because people don't know, one of these days we need to talk about the tongues thing so people understand what happened in Pentecost and then the problem that was there in, in Corinth and in other places where they had, because all of those cults, well, not all, but most of those cults spoke in tongues, most of them. And uh, so the people who came out, they, I want to feel the presence of the Holy I've had people to say to me, I want to feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. Then be obedient to the Holy Spirit, and you will. But if you just want to get it for selfish reasons so you can show off a little in public, then you're, you're talking to the wrong cat. You're talking to the wrong cat. So, in the, new, so the difference in the old and the new... Under Jesus' authority, he could do anything as God. And so he, he, he would say about the Old Testament, you have heard it said, talking about the Old Testament, but I say unto you. And that's a whole different ballgame. So you have the Old Testament covenant, you have the ministry of Christ, have the New Testament covenant. And they're all clearly and effectively addressed in the 8th and ninth chapter of the book of Hebrews. And we don't have time for that tonight. Now, let's talk about the Holy Spirit in regard to conversion and sanctification. Sanctification, we'll, we'll, uh, conversion you know. It is an individual who are willing, who, individuals who are willing to admit that they have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and unless something happens, they're going to go to hell on a skateboard. Know that. So what do you do about it? You, re, you, you, you be sorry for their sins and ask God to forgive you, and you turn away from that, do a, a military term, do an about face, and go the, the direction that God is going rather than the direction you want to go because the flesh and the spirit struggle with each other. And, it's, uh, and so conversion is that change. And, and, the, uh, and the work for sanctification is the process of the indwelling Holy Spirit using the Word of God, the encouragement of other believers, and so on and so forth, for that believer to mature in their faith so that they're no longer just, as Paul told the Corinthian church, I can't speak to you as though you were mature, you're still babies, and so I have to give you a bottle to suck on spiritually rather than give you a big old fat steak. And uh, so, and he actually uses that kind of terminology in addressing the problem with the Corinthian church. So salvation, you see, isn't something that we can earn because we're good people. We got that all messed up. Lost people look at it and say, you know, I'd like to be a Christian, but I can never do that. You know what? They're exactly right. They couldn't. Not if they tried. Oh, you can short term, you can do a pull it off pretty good one, but it won't last very long. And so God looks upon the, he only looks upon the heart. He's not impressed with our performance out here. He looks upon our heart. He deals with motives more than he does behavior. The lost world only looks at behavior. You know, Jesus looked at Peter and he said, hey, guy, I understand where you're coming from. Your, your behavior is, a, is an embarrassment. And the reason is the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You can't cut it like that. And, and, and Peter hadn't been filled with the Holy Spirit yet. 
he was struggling along as a Jew doing the best he could. And on, and on his best day, that's not very good. So what God does is he looks at an individual who's seeking the Lord and ain't getting there. And, 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 some, and, and a preacher or some other Christian, all other Christians ought to be able to do this if we really make disciples. Time out. I need to tell you something. We're in the process, I'm in the process of printing several hundred books that we give new believers. And I want all of you to have one and to work it out so that, and then when you finish that one, I'll give you another one. I want you all to get to the place where you would be as good as I am, maybe even better, at leading someone to Christ. And then when we start having the invitation, you'll drag them down the aisle. You'll get to baptize them if you want to. And if you don't like them very well, you can hold them down for a while. So, and I guarantee you, if they haven't repented, they'll get around to it. So anyway, so, and we really want to do that because we, Matthew is just, he's, he's stubborn. He gets it from his mother and he's stubborn about saying, what I want to do here is I want us to become disciples and not just believers and pew sitters. And he's right, folks. He's right. If we're going to turn this boat around and get it headed in the direction God wants us to go, we're going to have to do that. We're going to have, because in the past, we've been primarily concerned about getting people saved. And then it's like bringing a baby home when it's born and three days old and setting it on the kitchen table and say, okay, baby, now you're on your own. It, that doesn't work in the spiritual realm and it doesn't work in the physical realm. And so we've got to do a better job at that. And so anyway, God, let's go back to where we're, God takes this individual Years ago, they used to have some really neat, silly stuff. They'd have a, a pew over here, and the people who were struggling with this whole business, but they hadn't had a feeling yet, they would go sit on that pew. It was called the mourner's bench. And they would mourn and da-da-da-da-da until they could get the feeling. And lots of stories are related to that. I've got to hurry or I'll get fired. You're not hungry yet, so it doesn't matter. And, and so they, they would sit over there until they got that feeling. See, we've always been messed up with that feeling. They called it the mourner's bit. And, and one of the funny stories was this guy had been sitting on this bench for about six weeks, and he hadn't got that feeling yet. And so he finally made up a story so he could be voted into the church. He told him, he said, you know what? Oh, the Lord came upon me, and I da 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 and had his big story, and the congregation clapped, and they voted him into the church because a lot of churches still do actually vote members in or out. And about three years later, he got to just really struggling with the fact that he knew he had lied. And so he came back to the church, and, and he said, folks, I need to tell you something. And he told them that he had lied and so on, and so they voted him out. So if you listen carefully, you know, when, when he lied, they voted him in, and when they told the truth, they voted him out. See, so you, you, can't, you can't rely upon. So God doesn't pay any attention to that. He looks upon the heart of the individual, you see. And for those who are seeking and, and doing what they were doing on the mourner's bench, it is by faith. And so what he does is he gives that individual the gift of faith. You can't conjure it up out here somewhere. It's a gift from God. And when you go to the second chapter, verse 9 of the book of Ephesians, that's as clear as the nose on your face. 
And so we need to understand how that works. And you can tell people, you know, you seek the Lord and you'll find him, buddy. It's just, but, but here's the way that, that, that the scripture reads. He says in verse 8, it is, it is, uh, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. So faith is the gift of God. And then not only is faith a gift of God, you see, when you put your faith in him, you've repented of your sins, you put your faith in him, then the Spirit of God comes to, to, to dwell within you. And that's, that, that whole business that we're talking about, that shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody because in the Old Testament, in the book of Ezekiel, he says that he's going, the day is going to come when he puts the Spirit of God in you, even though it didn't happen then. But the day's coming when that's going to be. In fact, the Holy Spirit himself is a gift from God to us. And that's the reason Paul, the old Jewish boy Peter, in the second chapter, you know, verse, what, 38, where everybody likes to argue about it, he said, and, and, uh, about baptism, he said, you know, uh, when, when you look at it there in Acts 2.38, he makes it, and, and, the, and people like to argue about baptism, and that's not the issue here at all. He's, and Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness, of, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the big deal he's talking about here. Nobody fussed about baptism. The issue was now then the Holy Spirit will, will come upon each of you and it doesn't make any difference whether you're Jew, Gentile, black, white, Asian, whatever. If you've been given the gift of faith, the Spirit of God will be a gift to you from God and, and, and we could spend a lot of time talking about it. He said, the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off. For all who call upon the name of God will be saved. Good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. Now, and so we, we know that in the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, there's a lengthy passage that you ought to read on your own because I'm getting hungry too. And, and about the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and what he attempts to do. One of the neat things about uh, is, and when the last one here, it says, talks about the Holy Spirit in creation. In creation. Now, that covers two different things. That covers Genesis, and it also covers a New Testament thing when Jesus was baptized. In the book of Genesis, you know, that second verse there, it said that God had created everything, and it was kind of chaotic. Because, and then the Spirit... Hovered, it says. That's the really meaning of it. Do you ever see a, di a dove? D they can actually fly and hold still in one place in the wind and stay up. And, and that's called hovering. Other birds can do it too. But he used here and especially dove. And he said the Spirit of God is like a, a dove hovering over creation and bringing order to chaos. And so what was chaotic there and the waters were separated and all that kind of good stuff came through through wherever the spirit of god is in power there is order Did you ever notice that whenever the spirit of god is in charge there's order in a congregation in a home in an individual's life you can always tell when you get to be an old preacher you you learn to see that in, in people's lives. Well, in the New Testament, both in, uh, in, in Matthew and, and Luke, I put 
both of them in your outline there, it says that when Jesus was baptized, just like the, 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 it was there, on the, if you notice, just like it was there at, at, at the initial creation when chaos became uh, cosmos by the Spirit hovering over it, we have now Jesus coming to do a new thing and the Spirit of God hovering over him and then settling on his shoulder. And God saying, this is my son. I'm really pleased with him. I love him. It's, it's, and so what he was really doing was saying, I'm, I'm bringing order in a new creation. This is a new thing I'm doing here. Just like the, bringing the world into creation and, and, and starting it in Genesis, I'm starting a whole new thing. That's the reason Jesus told the parable, don't put old in new. Don't put new, old, new wine in an old thing. This is a new thing I'm doing. And so, it, because it just doesn't work. And he was using that as an illustration to saying, this is a new thing I'm doing. A new thing I'm doing. And so you need to get that clear in your mind. We don't have time to go into a lot of details about it. I wish I did. But uh, so we're entering. How do you enter this new thing he's doing? This new covenant era. You do it by what? The new birth. First two, three chapters of the, of the Gospel of John. And so believers are referred to in Scripture as a new creature in Christ Jesus. It's a new creation. It's a new thing he's doing. And I don't know about you, but I like new things. I like a new car. I like a new house. I like new shoes. I like new underwear. I like new everything. And, 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 and I think that's kind of a common thing for us all. But it's really important for us to get that picture here. He says, look, this is wonderful. It's a new era. God is doing a new thing. And he says, if you, if you as a believer will participate in this new thing, I'll do what? I, he says in Revelation 2, I'm going to give you a new name. I wonder what my new name will be. I don't, I don't know. But any name he gives me, I'm going to be happy with. Well, I can think of a few, but I wouldn't, that tried to steal my wife. I, I, that wouldn't be so good. But anyway. And he says, look, in Ephesians 4, he says, you're going to be a new, a new man, a new creation, a new man. And he said, you'll, you'll have a new name. You, you'll be a new person. You'll have a new name. You'll have a new song to sing. Even though you birds don't like it, I'm telling you, when Jesus gets, when your whole life is dependent upon and you finally realize it upon Jesus and what he's done and what he's doing, life gets to be a tad exciting. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And, you know, give you, what's the old song? There's a new name written down in glory. And it's mine. Yes, it's mine. We, we like to sing. And, and, and how will all of this happen? God will use the word of Christ, which dwells in us richly, until you see a person created through this process who actually comes to look like Jesus. Not physically 
but spiritually looks like. And that's the possibility for each of us. That's why we want you to become disciples and not just pew sitters. Because that can happen to you. Why? Because the right Peter said, the promise is to you and to everyone who believes, all who call upon the name of the Lord. This promise is for you. And I think we ought to get excited about that and share that message with all. Because all Romans 10, 13 says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, I'm hungry and tired. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your gift, gifts to us. The gift of salvation, the promise of sanctification, the gift of your presence called himself the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Lord, we know that anything that's good has come from you. And we're totally dependent upon you day and night. And we thank you that you love us enough that you hang in there with us. We pray that you'll bless our church. Help us, oh God, to grow until the character qualities of Jesus can be seen in our lives. And people will know that you're real. Thank you for loving us and being patient with us. Dismiss us now to eat a little bite and to enjoy each other's company. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Get up and go eat. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.